You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. As you can see, we are in a series called Jesus Said It. And I want to give a little credit to Brandy because I like coming in every time we have a new series and having all the decorations and that kind of thing. That takes a lot of time. A lot of times they don't get much credit for that. So let's give Brandy a hand right quick if y'all don't mind. There's a, there's a, lot, there's a lot too, you know, having decorations and sets and bulletins and slides and everything matches and we just come in and kind of enjoy it. Sometimes we don't understand how much work goes behind it. But we are in the series, obviously, Jesus Said It. And what we're going to look at today is Jesus said to build your house on a rock or to build your house on a firm foundation. And uh, I got to tell you that when I first started studying this, this is, this is what Lynn wanted me to teach on today. And I've heard this parable since I was little. And then you guys... If you've been in vacation Bible school and that kind of thing, you've probably heard the same thing, um, that the wise man builds his house upon a rock. We even did a little song when we were in vacation Bible school, the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Remember that? The wise man builds his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up and his house stood. And then the, we do the same thing with the, with the foolish man. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up and his house went splat. And I got to tell you that that's kind of pretty much where the end of that parable was for me. I never took it any further than that. I kind of got it. Jesus saying the wise man builds his house upon a firm foundation. And the foolish man built his house upon the sand. And I never went anywhere with that. Because in my mind, that was stupid. It's kind of dumb. The, the foolish man built his house without a good foundation. Well, that's just dumb. And I'm not dumb. And I'm not super bright. But I'm not stupid. And so when I, looked at this, when I looked at this parable, I got to admit that I never really got anything out of it because I didn't really dive in and see what Jesus was saying. And I really felt like I wasn't the, I wasn't the foolish guy. I really wasn't. I wasn't the dumb guy. But boy, the more I studied this, the more that came back to bite me. So I'm going to go through it with you guys. And see if it doesn't maybe wake up some of, some of us in here today. Let's start with Luke chapter 6, verse 47 and through 49. As for anyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they're like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. And the next verse says, But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And the moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and the destruction was complete. So what we really need to, to start with this morning, if I'm going to get you to understand this the way that I felt God taught it to me, is that we have to understand that there's a difference between foolish and stupid. Because I looked at the parable and didn't see myself in the parable. Because I didn't see myself as stupid. And I'd look at this and I'd say, Well, who, who would build a house and not put a good foundation under it? That's just stupid. 
I wouldn't do that. So we sang the song and that was the end of it. But when we look at the difference between stupid and foolish, all of a sudden I start seeing myself in the foolish guy a lot. Maybe, the, now why, if we're looking at the foolish guy, and we're going to get back to the stupid foolish thing in a minute, tell me why somebody might build a house without a good foundation. Obviously, we know in advance that they're going to be the foolish guy, so we're, we're, we're already headed in that direction. But maybe he wanted to be closer to his friends. Maybe he wanted to impress them. You can build a lot bigger house if you don't build a good foundation. There are some houses, based on where you build, that the foundation costs as much as the rest of the house. So maybe he just wanted to build a bigger house. Maybe he wanted to impress his friends. Maybe he wanted to be closer to the water. Maybe he wanted to be... Um, get out cheaper so that he could decorate better. Who knows? But the truth is that what he did was he spent his money and he spent his time building the part that everybody could see. And he never put any weight or importance on the foundation itself. And maybe he thought the foundation was good enough. See, I'm thinking that there's a lot of people in this world, because I know I raced motorcycles for years, and, and we did trackside ministry when I was at the racetrack, and there was a lot of very, very intelligent men that I raced with, company owners and guys that had started dot-coms and, and different things, a lot of IT guys, a lot of very, very smart men, IQ-wise. Smart-wise, they were brilliant, but when it came to things of the Lord, a lot of them were atheists, didn't believe in God. They were almost too smart to believe in God. You ever know anybody like that? The smarter they get, the less that they feel like they need God. You know, for somebody like me that's kind of plain and kind of simple, you, you, tell me, you throw me a lifeline like Jesus and I'll cling to it. You get somebody that's real smart and they think that they're self-made. There's no such thing as self-made, but that's what they feel like they are. They've got a successful company and they've got all the toys and this kind of, And you try to tell them about Jesus, they don't want to hear it. They got it. They got life, by, they got life under control. So see, they're intelligent. But they're foolish. See the difference? You guys remember the uh, restaurant? I don't remember the name of it. It was on Old 70 in Hickory. There was a restaurant that they built across from where the Honda place is at. And a real nice restaurant. And a great big parking lot that fell into the ground. You remember that? Do you think stupid people built that restaurant? Do you think that the investors would put up a whole bunch of money so that some stupid people could build their restaurant for them? Do you think that that was their first restaurant that they had ever built? No. They did what they thought was right at the time. They may not have done their homework. I don't know the whole situation. But what I know is that when I first looked at this parable, my first thought was, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not stupid. And then I look at something like that restaurant and I go, you know what? That could happen to anybody. That could happen to anybody that's not doing their homework and not understanding about the foundation and what's going on underground and that kind of thing. So you have a restaurant there that just, the whole, the restaurant ended up having to be torn down. But the parking lot dropped into the ground. I remember it took a half a dozen cars. There was a Corvette. Because I remember driving by there and seeing a Corvette about 12 feet down in the ground. Because, because the ground underneath it had washed out. So now I'm beginning to look at this story and I'm thinking, well, what if this guy wasn't stupid at all? What if he was intelligent and he weighed the cost and he just decided that where he was building, he didn't really need a good found, a super strong foundation. Maybe he was thinking, well, you know, the area that I'm building, I really want to get as close to the water as possible. And, and uh, there's really not been any storms in this area in 100 years. 
Maybe he thought, you know, for the amount of money that I would put into a foundation in this sand, I mean, that's going to take forever. You've got to dig down deep and build this. Man, I could build a house twice as nice. But whatever it was, maybe, and I realize this is just a parable, and I'm kind of extrapolating some of this. I'm kind of stretching it out to make a whole story out of it. But maybe in this situation, this guy weighed out what he thought was the, the pluses and the minuses, and he decided to build like he built. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that the guy's house without the foundation collapsed, and he lost everything. So we know the end of the story. So we still look at him, and we think, he's still foolish. But that doesn't apply to me, because I'm not like that. I would never build a house. But God's really not talking. I mean, Jesus was a carpenter, but he really ain't talking about building houses here. He's talking about what we built our lives on. What is the foundation of how we build our lives? And hindsight is, is twenty twenty. So we can look back at the, at the foolish guy in this parable. We can look back at the restaurant in Hickory. Uh, and, and, we can, and we can say that, well, they might have weighed the risk and the rewards, but they were wrong in the end because it collapsed. But we need to do that this morning with our spiritual lives. So how do we keep from being foolish? The story that Jesus is talking about here is actually um, a closing remark. You guys ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Yeah, everybody's heard of the Sermon on the Mount, right? Everybody's heard of the Beatitudes? Okay. Jesus has got this large group of people following him. He's getting quite famous now, and he's doing all kinds of miracles, and people are touching him, and they're being healed. He's, a, he's practically a walking magic show, and there's people following him all over the place. He's got thousands of them. And you remember when he had to feed them? Because they would follow him for days sometimes. And, and he would, sometimes he would have to stop because they ran out of food. And, that had, and, and Jesus had to feed them. You might remember that? He would take three loaves and two fish and whatever. And he did that a couple of different times. And they'd have 12 baskets. And then the people would go, not only get, did they get fed, they got a magic trick. <gasps> wow. So they're following Jesus. And a lot of them for the wrong reasons. So he has just told them. He's just gone through the Beatitudes. And then he went through the Sermon on the Mount. And he's telling them a lot of stuff that's really, you know, countercultural for where they're at. It, He's telling them, don't hate your enemies. Don't hate the ones that are in authority over you. Uh, but love them. Do good to them. Be nice to those that are mean to you. Love those who hate you. All of this stuff is opposite of the way that, that we're trained to think. He says, and he's teaching them this. And then he gets to the end of all of that. Now, this is all good teaching. He's, all, he's teaching them how to live. He's teaching them how to love He's teaching them how to show respect. He's teaching them that they need to be uh, humble and they need to be servants of other people instead of trying to get their own way and take care of number one. They need to be taking care of everybody else. All this stuff is, is counterculture. He gets through the end of all of that teaching and then he tells them about a wise man and a, and, a, and a foolish man. Why so? Let's back up a verse to Luke 46. This is the verse right before what, what I just read you about the wise man, the foolish man. And this is what he says. He's almost scolding the crowd. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Now think. Imagine with your, with your imagination that you're with Jesus and there's thousands of people following him no matter where he goes. 
There's thousands of people following. And he's teaching them the very words of life. They don't have the New Testament, yet Christ is the New Testament. He's teaching them things that they've never heard before. He's teaching with an authority that they've never heard before. And they're mesmerized by it. But they're just listeners. And he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Then he goes back to verse 47. It says, for everyone who comes to me, and here's the key, hears my words and puts them into practice. I'll show you what that person's like. That's when he talks about the wise man. The wise man is not the one that hears the words. There's a bunch of people following him. There's a bunch of people that... Think about that. They were actually sitting at the feet of Jesus himself. How cool would it be to actually hear the words come out of Jesus' own mouth? But it wasn't impacting their lives because it wasn't changing their behavior. How many times do we have the very words of God... And we hear the words, but it doesn't change our behavior. He says the difference between a wise man and a foolish man is not one who hears the words, but the one who hears the words and puts them into practice. I want to know the words of God and put them into practice. I want that to be a trademark of my life. I want people to say he knew the word of God and he put it into practice. That's what I want for you this morning. Is I, don't, I want you to know the word of God, but I want you to put it into practice. Too many times we hear the word of God. Too many times we come for the show and the music and to be with our friends. And because it eases our conscience, because we can't stand to sleep in bed on Sunday morning because it, our conscience bothers us. We come here and we hear the words for a lot of different reasons. Just like the people that were following Jesus followed Jesus for a lot of different reasons. The following of Jesus and the hearing of the words was not what made them wise. It was to understand what God had said and to put it into practice. And I'd be willing to bet that all of you this morning, especially you guys this morning, it's raining outside. Okay, I'm amazed at how many Baptists are scared to death to get wet. But look at the attendance on a day that it rains and you'll see that a lot of people stay home. You guys didn't stay home. You came out on a, on a Father's Day on quite possibly your only day off of the week in the rain to come to church. That's good. So I would say that most likely those that are in here that are hearing my voice this morning are dedicated. Otherwise, you wouldn't have got out of bed so early on your day off to come to church. So I don't think that most people intentionally build their lives on an inferior foundation. They just don't think much about what their life's purpose or life's intent is supposed to be. They don't know why they're here because they don't know the word. They want to be Christians, but they want to fit in. Now think about the guy who built his house without a firm foundation and, and some of the reasons he might have built like he did. To be close to his friends or to have a better view or to be closer to the water or to save money or to have a bigger house because he, he could buy twice as big a house if he didn't have the foundation, a big foundation underneath him. And as Christians, a lot of times we want to be Christians. We want to be identified with Christ on Sunday and then we want to party with our friends. We want to we live we say, for Christ, and we do, 
in church in front of other Christians, then we live however we want to the rest of the week. We come in here to hear the words, but they make no impact on us for the rest of the week. And I kind of have to say, Jesus probably looks at us a lot of times and says, why do you call me Lord? Why do you even bother calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I say? But there's two problems. One is, we don't know what he says. And the other problem is, when we know what he says, we don't follow it a lot of times. So when I begin to look at this, I begin to understand, we're just like the foolish guy. Because see, his house might have been just as nice as the, uh, as the guy whose house was on the foundation. The houses might have been equally well built. The two houses might have looked good on the outside. They might have both been strong They might have both been beautiful. The difference was that one was on a firm foundation and the other one wasn't. And when times were good, they all looked the same. It was in the storms of life and the darkness of night. It was in the middle of the flood when things were tough that all of a sudden one house collapsed and the other house stays firm. See, we know as Christians that we should be spending our time studying the Word of God, spending time with Him, And praying. We know that. And how many times have we said to ourselves, I know. I get it. I need to spend more time in the Word of God. I need to pray. I know. Going to church is not enough. I mean, you guys guys are probably going to eat a good meal today because it's Father's Day. So um, no matter how good that meal is, no matter how much you eat today... What's the chances of that holding you off till next Sunday till you eat again? Not good. Doesn't matter how big the meal is. It doesn't matter how good the meal is. It's not going to last you all week. You're going to eat again. Now, you might swear after lunch, oh, I don't don't eat anything till tomorrow, but you'll probably eat supper. Okay? But we come in here on Sunday morning, and no matter how good the meal, no matter how much we learn, it's not enough. We can't be Sunday morning morning glories. Okay, we have, to, we have to be in this word. We have to understand what it says and apply it to our lives if we're ever going to have victory, not only in the sunny days, but in the stormy days, especially in the stormy days. Time and time again, people say, I know, I know, I need to do that. I, I need to do that. I need to study my Bible more. Man, there's only 24 hours in a day. Man, I, I'm working and, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm taking care of the kids and I'm coaching the ball team and and I'm doing this, and by the time I get home, man, I'm exhausted. I, I got to sit down and watch a little TV. I got to relax a little bit, and then I got to go to bed so I can get up and do it all again tomorrow. You know, I'd love, man, if I just had another hour a day, I'd study God's Word for an hour. If I just had another, I mean, it's God's fault. He's the one who gave us 24 hours. It's not my fault. So whatever we go, we fill up that 24 hours. And a lot of times, don't get me wrong, a lot of times what we're filling up our 24 hours with is not bad stuff. It's good stuff. And we need to work. The Bible says we need to work. We need to eat. We need to take care of our families. We need to take care of our kids. We need to have some downtime. It's not a bad thing to have hobbies. The problem is when all of that keeps you from having a relationship with Christ, when all of that good stuff keeps you from the best stuff, when all of that stuff, which will not get you through the storm, which will not sustain you when life is bad, when the storms hit, We find out, oh no, we're just like the foolish guy. All these years we've been spending our time working 
and making money and buying big cars and big houses and, and playing ball and having hobbies. And now the th- storms of life have hit and we're unprepared for it. Because we've not spent time knowing the words of God and putting them into practice. We make New Year's resolutions to pray more and read our Bibles more. But until we change our priorities, nothing will really change. Because the truth is, and you've got to admit this, the truth is, you will make time for whatever you need to make time for. And even if you're working, if you get hungry enough, you will stop and eat in the middle of the day. There's work to be done. Your job needs you. You can't stop in the middle of the day and just eat. But you do. Because it's a need, right? You need it enough, you'll stop. Now, I've had days where I didn't get much, or if I didn't get lunch, I, I definitely got supper. I don't care how busy you are. If your house is on fire, I bet you take care of that. I bet you got time to call 911 or go home if somebody calls you and says, hey, your house is on fire. I bet you can drop what you're doing and go to the house. You see what I'm saying? We make time for what we have as high priorities. The problem is, this is not really a high priority. If I ask you, who in here thinks this is a high priority? Everybody raise your hand because we're in church. Yay, this is a high priority. Who's, who in here has a lifestyle that proves that this is a high priority? Ooh, not so much. Who in here spends more time in the Word of God than they do on the TV? Ooh, not too many. Who spends more time in the Word of God than they do at their hobby? Not so much. But we'll make a New Year's resolution next year and we'll get back, back, back to that. Because that's what we do. Oh, yeah, I need to do that. I, I need, that's important. It's really important. I know it's important. That's, it's, we got to do that. And I'm going to make a New Year's resolution that I'm going to read the Bible more and study more. Yeah, that's what I'll do. We just don't get around to it. So now, see, now everybody's going, oh, wow, this is not very much fun. <laughs> it gets better, okay? I got to show you what the problem is before I can show you what the solution is, okay? So you guys are all kind of going, wow, he's kind of beating the sheep this morning, isn't he? But you got to know what the problem is before you can know what the solution is. And I gotta, And if you're like me, the problem is, is that you don't see yourself in the parable because you don't see yourself as the foolish guy. You think you're pretty smart, and you are. So you don't see... But there's a difference between smart and intelligence and foolishness. So what's happening is your priorities are going to tell on you. And only you know what is in your schedule. Only you know how much time you spend in the Word of God. And only you know how much time you spend in prayer. So only you know how this priority measures up to all the other priorities in your life. But for me, I realize that if I'm not in this, then no matter how smart I am, I'm the foolish guy. Because I'm not building on the firm foundation. I'm not digging deep for the firm foundation. So many people, I really believe this, so many people in our churches are headed for destruction. The storm is on the horizon. It's coming. And our churches are ill-equipped to handle it, either corporately as a church or you in your individual lives, not because you're rebellious, Not because you don't believe in God. It's just because it's not a priority. 
We're not so much stubborn or rebellious. We simply don't have our priorities in the right order. What I want for you this morning is I want you to understand the words of God and I want you to put them into practice. I want you to be safe in the storm. God wants you to be safe in the storm. God has given you everything you need to be safe in the storm. God has given you promises to sustain you and never let you have more than you can bear and to hold you up and to take care of you. He's made provisions for that, but He can't do it for you. I can't do it for you. I really want you to know the words of God and put them into practice, but I can't do that for you. What I can do is give you some ideas of how you can make that a practice in your life. And we'll get to that. But I want to, first I want to look a little bit deeper at the, at the parable. One, you need to understand that the foundation has already been laid. 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul's talking here to the church. And he says, For no one can lay any other foundation than the one that is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is our rock. Jesus is what we're supposed to, to build our foundation on. You can't lay a foundation and then build the house any way you want to. You need to understand this. You can't build a square foundation and build a rectangular house. You can't build a rectangular foundation and build a square house. You can't build a little, little foundation and build a big house. The house has to look and mirror the foundation. Otherwise, the parts of the house that are not on the foundation will still be weak. They'll still be exposed. If Jesus is our foundation, then we need to be mirroring Jesus. If Jesus is the foundation, then everything that we do needs to line up with what he says that we need to be doing. Otherwise, part of our life is on a foundation and part of it's not. And the part that's not will eventually cave away. The last point on that would be that the storms are indiscriminate. If you'll notice in this story, the storm didn't care if he had a foundation or not. The storm hit both houses. And there's a part of us that wants to believe that if we're good Christians and we keep our nose clean and we read the Bible and we talk about Jesus a lot, then we really won't have any storms. Not the case. Everybody's going to have storms. And even in this parable, you had a wise man and you had a foolish man, but both of them had storms. The storm still came. The difference was what happened during the storm. The wise man after the storm was still intact. His home, his house was saved. The foolish man was destroyed. So it's not a matter of trying to avoid the storms in life. It's a matter of building our foundation so that the storms can't destroy us. And you will not have time to prepare for the storm by the time you get the weather advisory. By the time your TV goes beep, 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 it's too late. You don't start preparing for the storm then. You don't start preparing for the test when the teacher says, okay, I'm going to give you a pop quiz today. It's a little late for that. And it's a little late for us as Christians, because this is what we do. If you're honest with yourself, how many times have you gone through life and you're busy working and you're busy having a career and you're busy raising a family and, and buying big houses and cars and doing all this other stuff that seems to be so important to us that we don't have time for the Word of God. 
And then when a storm hits, ooh. Or we get a call from the doctor that says you've got something really bad wrong or you've got cancer. Or we get a call that something has happened to our child or something really bad. The storm hits. How often do we then hit our knees and grab, grab the Bible and blow the dust off of it and start begging God to do something? It's too late. See, Jesus wants to give us peace and security. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I know a lot of Christians who are afraid of the storms. They're scared of the storms. They live in, as Christians but timid because they're afraid. What if? What if people know this about me? Or what if this happens? Or what if I lose my job? Or, or, or what if I lose my house? Or, or what if? What if I lose my kid? What if? And they live, as Christians, instead of in victory, timid and in fear. Because they don't know the book. I'm telling you, what I want for you this morning, what we're getting ready to study in a little bit practically, is how you can live with a foundation that's dug deep, that's on, built on Christ, who is the same today as He was yesterday, and He will be forever. And you can sit in your house and watch the storm from the safety of your house. And me and my wife, we love to sit and watch the storms come. We've got big glass windows, and we literally sit there and watch the storms. kind of freaks my daughter out still, but me and my wife love it. It shows the awesome power and majesty of God. Because you know what? I can sit there in the living room because I'm not worried about getting struck by lightning. I'm not worried about the house falling down because I know the guy that built it. I want you to be that way in your spiritual lives. I want you to have the comfort and the confidence in Christ. I want you to know this word and be putting it into practice in your life so much so that when the storms hit, not that you like it, not that you're not going to get wet, but I want you to have the comfort and the confidence and the victory in Christ to sit in your house and watch the storm go by and wonder what God's going to do. I don't want you living in fear. I don't want you to be timid. I don't want you to worry about what tomorrow holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. The more, the more of your foundation that you can put on the rock, which is the word of God, the stronger you will be. But here's the key. It does not come just by hearing the word, but by obeying it. That's the next fill in the blank on your paper. The more of your foundation you put on the rock, the stronger you will be, but it comes not just by hearing the word, but by obeying it. I want you to think about what Jesus was saying to his, to the, his followers. whole group of people, they've been following him, quite possibly some of them, for days. And this is the ones that he's scolding. Because it's not enough to just hear the words. It's not enough to just hear what Jesus said. You've got to put it into practice. You've got to obey it. You cannot... There was a guy with a funny name. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi said, You cannot believe... This is paraphrase. It's not exactly. You cannot believe what parts of this book you want to believe and not believe the other parts that you don't want to believe. Otherwise, it's not this book that you believe, but yourself. You can't take this book and say, well, I like that part. Well, now, that makes sense. That's a good saying right there. I don't think that applies to me. I don't, that, that was probably for the early church. That doesn't apply to me. And, 
Yeah, what he's saying there? Yeah, I don't think that really applies anymore. That's probably first century stuff. I don't know. Nobody lives like that. You can't, you can't take it apart. Jesus says, if you want your foundation, and this is what he was telling his people, you have to not only hear it, but you have to obey it. All of it. Let's show, uh, let's show him a picture of the Patronus Towers. This is a building, a twin tower building in Malaysia that's pretty popular. It used to be the tallest building in the world, but it's not anymore, but it's close. Uh, 80-something stories high. But you know what's fascinating about this? What's fascinating to me is that the foundation for this building is 131 yards deep into the ground. I don't know if you guys have ever stood at a football field well, I know some of you have because you play football. And looked all the way at the other end. It's a long ways. Okay? 131 yards would be the entire football field plus another third of a football field after that. That's how much of that building is underground because that's what it takes to create a foundation firm enough to hold towers up that tall. You say, well, that's nice. That's a pretty picture and all that stuff. But what does that have to do with us today? This is what it has to do with us today. If the foundation for a tower has to be d- deeper than a foundation for the house, then the taller that you want to stand for God and the taller you want to stand for for your family, the deeper your foundation is going to have to go. If If you really want to stand for Christ, then you're going to need a deep foundation. If you really want to stand for Christ... The, deeper you, the, the taller you want to stand for God, the deeper your foundation is going to be. The taller you want to stand on behalf of your family as a spiritual leader, the deeper your foundation is going to have to be. There's no getting around it. Now, there's a big difference between desire and having a goal. Because if we, if we polled everybody in here today, and we said, who desires to... Know the words of God and put them into practice. Surely, everybody would raise your hand. And the few that wouldn't raise your hand would probably do it just because of peer pressure. They didn't want to be the only one. So everybody says, yeah, I want to know God better. And I want to put his words into practice. Yeah, I want to know the words of God. And I want to put them into practice. But there's a difference between desiring something and having a goal. I can say, ooh, I wish I had some money. That's just a wish. I say, ooh, I'm going to go put applications in and find a job. Then I've got a goal. It's measurable. So a lot of times as Christians, we have Christian wishes, I guess. I want to read my Bible more. Good. How are you going to do that? I don't know. I need to pray more. That's a great wish. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Then it's just a wish. Now, if you say, I need to be in the Word of God more, and I go, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to read it 15 minutes a day. That's measurable. That's a goal. A goal is different than a wish. I need to pray more. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I think what I'm going to do is I drive uh, 30 minutes to work in the morning, so I'm going to pray. I'm going to turn the radio off and pray for 20 minutes of that every day. That's a goal. And you can measure it. And if, if, and if you don't meet your goal, then you know, hey, I didn't meet the goal today. Or I forgot to do it today. But at least you've got a goal, and it's measurable. Otherwise, it's a wish. And we all wish to be the wise builder who builds his house upon the rock. But if we don't have some measurable goals, we're most most likely going to have this same talk a year or two from now and everybody will be exactly the same as they are today because nothing ever changes because we don't actually set spiritual goals that that we can measure ourselves with. 
A goal is measurable. So let me give you some practical ideas because here's the first one. Digging deep is deliberate. Digging deep is deliberate. Look at Luke. I'm going to go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 48. Jesus is talking about when he's talking about those that hear his words and actually do what he says. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on the rock. That isn't just something that happens. It's deliberate. It is somebody who said, you know what? I'm going to dig deep and make this foundation. Foundations just don't build themselves. Nor do Christian lives. Christian lives don't just build themselves. And you can be in church all you want to. But unless you're learning the words of God and putting them into practice, you are not necessarily going to be grounded with a firm foundation. Because digging is deliberate. It's something that you have to decide to do. Second thing I want you to do today is I want you to decide today to speak the truths of Scripture in your life. Because here's the truth. You are loved whether you feel like it or not. You are a child of God. You are worthy. You are forgiven. You are a conqueror. You're intelligent. You are planned by God. Those are truths of Scripture. And you know what? Sometimes we don't feel intelligent. Sometimes we don't feel worthy. Sometimes we feel like a flop. Sometimes we feel like a loser. Sometimes we feel like a failure. And, and you know what? Satan, Satan is called Beelzebub. You know, Beelzebub is, is, is called the accuser of the brethren. Because that's what he does. Is he accuses us. He says, you're a loser. You're a failure. I heard what you said when you smashed your thumb with a hammer and you call yourself a Christian. I saw what you did on your taxes. You can go to church all you want to, but I know how you really are. He's all the time accusing. He's all the time beating us down. He's all the time trying to wear us out. He's all the time trying to neutralize us because if we don't feel good about who we are in Christ, we will never share Christ with somebody else because we feel like a hypocrite. And he would love to neutralize us by making us feel like hypocrites. We need to speak the truth of Scripture into our lives every day. My wife actually has note cards up on the mirror that she prays every day. Uh, Joel Osteen and Beth Moore, you guys know them, they have different things that they have their people quote every day at a conference. Things like, God is who He says He is. And everybody goes, yeah! Then in that case, I am who God says I am. They go, ooh, yeah. This book is the inspired Word of God. And everybody goes, yeah! In that case, I am what this book says I am. They go, ooh. Because that's the truth. We don't feel like that sometimes. But the truth is that we are who God says that we are. We can do what this Bible says that we can do. This Bible says that we are conquerors, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We don't feel like conquerors. Man, Gideon didn't feel like a conqueror. Do you guys remember the story about Gideon? The children of Israel were getting ready to be overrun by an enemy. They were outnumbered like a thousand to one in hand-to-hand combat. That ain't good odds. 
And the angel comes to tell Gideon that he's going to lead his people to victory against this massive army that you, they said it looked like the sands of the seashore. There were so many of them when they looked down on them. Do you know where he found Gideon? He goes up to Gideon and says, Gideon, oh mighty warrior. <laughs> Gideon's hiding in the wine press. So you can, kind of see the, you can kind of see the angel pop on the scene and go, Gideon, oh mighty warrior. Gideon, Gideon, I see you. Come here. But he called him mighty warrior because God knew what he was. God knew who he was going to be. God knew what his destiny was. He didn't care how he felt that day because he was scared to death of the angel. He was hiding in the wine press because he was scared of the angel. But the angel still announced to him, Gideon, you are a mighty warrior. You need to speak truth into your lives every day. You need to understand that you are a winner. That you are victorious. That you are in the process of digging deep to build your foundation. And once you are built on that foundation, nothing that Satan has can shake you off of it. You need to speak that truth into your life. Whether you feel like it or not. Actually, the more you don't feel like it, you need to speak that truth into your life. There was a time, six or seven years ago, I guess, um, I had been, um, I'd been a CEO of a large corporation. We had had a disaster, a couple of disasters. Some things happened that were out of my control, and we lost everything, and, the, and I was having to fire a bunch of employees that didn't deserve to be fired, and the job market was bad, and I was afraid of what was going to happen to them, and and uh, creditors were calling every day, and the IRS was calling, and stockholders were calling, and they used to like me a lot, and now all of a sudden they didn't like me very much, and they weren't saying very nice things. And my day was a train wreck. My life, except for Christ, was a train wreck. And I remember during that time, there was about three months, that um, I sleep really good. That's just a gift that God gave me. I think it's a defense mechanism. Most of the other businessmen that I know, the more stress they're under, the, least, the, the less they sleep. You know, they toss and they turn. Me, the more stress I was under, the better I slept. But I would wake up in the morning. And I'd be shaking all over, just quivering all over. I dreaded doing this again for another day. I begged God, if this is the best you've got for me, just take me to heaven. This world doesn't hold anything for me. I'm not afraid of death. I'm ready to go to the house. God, I don't want to do this again today. And every day I would wake up shaking all over. And it would take me 10 minutes to get out of bed. To even get my shower and start my prayer time before going to work. Do you know how I got out of bed? I would lay there. And I would start quoting truth to myself. I would say, Jesus is Lord over my life. Jesus is Lord over this situation. Jesus loves me even if I'm a train wreck. Jesus said that He can do all things through me, and I believe that He can. Jesus said that He would never leave me or forsake me, and even though I feel forsaken, I still trust Him because He's all I've got. And Jesus is Lord over my life. And Jesus will get me through this day. And Jesus is what I'm going to hold on to. And you know what? Before long, I was okay. Because I had reminded myself 
that Jesus is Lord, that this book is true, and that He is my rock, and then I can start my day. I did that for three months, every day, until it eased up a little bit and things got better. I'm telling you, had I not had a firm foundation during that kind of a storm, I'd have been jumping out a window. And during that storm was not the time for me to be preparing for the storm. Thank goodness I had prepared years in advance. Building on the foundation of the rock does not make you strong in and of yourself. That's the next blank on your paper. And I want you to hear me on this. Building your foundation on the rock doesn't make you strong in and of yourself. It just binds you to the one that is strong enough to weather any storm. See, in that situation, I wasn't, I wasn't strong. I was weak. And I was scared and I was shaken. But my foundation wasn't. My foundation didn't care. Or didn't care. Excuse me. My foundation was not shaken by my circumstances because my foundation knew what was going to happen. God knew what he had in plan for me. God knew how he was going to use it for his glory. God knew how he was going to use it to strengthen me over time. So I wasn't strong in and of myself. The foundation doesn't make the house any stronger. It just binds you to the one that has all the answers that makes you strong. Now, some parents are afraid to let their kids see them as failures. Some parents are afraid to let their kids see them cry. Some parents are afraid to let their kids know when they've blown it. And uh, as a Father's Day gift to you fathers, I I go ahead and clue you in on something. Uh, they pretty much know you're not perfect. (laughs) They've already got that part. You're trying to act like you've got all the answers. You're trying to act all perfect in front of the kids. They get it. I don't know who let it out of the bag, but they found out a while back that you're not perfect, and they're okay with that. And I lived a long time trying to keep all this bottled up and keep it from my kids and even keep it from my wife and, and hide the stress because I didn't want them to see me weak. They didn't want to see them to see me as a failure. But the truth is, when I let my guard down, when it got, actually, I didn't let my guard down. Actually, the situation just got so bad I couldn't cover it up anymore. But I'm glad it did because what happened was there was freedom in that. Because once my kids saw me fail, once the kids saw the business fail, once my wife saw us financially start to fail, yeah, there was some, there was some nervousness at first. But you know what? they realized that I was planted on a firm foundation. It wasn't me that they were looking to for their strength anyway. It was supposed to be God that they were looking to for their strength. I was trying to be the strong guy. It wasn't me anyway. It was God all along. He was the one that was propping me up. He was my foundation. And the best thing that I can do is let them see my weakness so that they can see the strength of my foundation. So fathers and mothers who are trying to hide your weaknesses and your failures from your kids, you don't have to do that. They're going to love you for who you are and what you are, and they already know that you're not perfect anyway. So the only one you're kind of really fooling is yourself. It's okay. Let your guard down. Let them see that, you know what? I failed. But God has my back. I don't have all the answers, but God has all the answers. I don't know how we're going to get through this. But God said that we would get through this. I don't know where the groceries are going to come from next week. But God said that he would supply. And he's always supplied. And so that's what we'll trust in. 
That's what your family needs. Because then what you're doing is you're not just holding on to your foundation. You're beginning to build that foundation into the lives of your family. See, in the business world, it's easy to measure results. In our families, not so much. So me as a business guy, when I would go to work, I'd tell these employees to do this and they'd do it. And I'd tell these employees to do this and they would do it. And I would uh, make this decision and have this marketing plan and, and do this uh, strategy, sales strategy. And we had numbers and sales and money coming in. And there was all these goals that I could say, yeah, I'm, I'm successful. I've, I've, I've done this. I've, we made this much money. We had this much net. We had this much market share gain. We had this. We had this. And I get home. My kid, my son, he just wants to play Legos. Well, okay, we'll play Legos, but how do we measure that? My daughter wanted me to sit on the floor and play Barbie dolls with her, so I did. Hated it. There's no end game. How do you know if you win? There's nothing that's measurable. But you know what? I come from a, you know, I'd come from that business working eight or nine hours a day. And I'd come home, and I'd sit on the floor and play Legos and Barbie dolls. And do you realize that what I'm building into those kids during that time that I'm playing with them, sitting on the floor, far exceeded anything that I built during the day at work? But the problem is, for us guys, is the stuff that I did at work, which now has been all taken away. I spent years building it, and now somebody else took it away. They jerked the rug right out from under me. Think about that. That's frustrating. I spent so much time building all of that. And the important thing was right under my nose, right at home. And the reason I didn't spend more time with my kids is because I had a hard time because it wasn't measurable. It was more important than the business by a long shot. But it didn't feel more important. It felt like I was playing Legos. So if we're not careful as men, we measure our results by the wrong standard. And we'll lose our family. We say that we'll take a bullet for our family. I'll take a bullet for my family. Because I'll defend my family to the death. I'll take a bullet for them. Will you take a demotion for them? I don't want to take a demotion. Well, you'll take a bullet for them? I'll take a bullet for them. I'll die for my family. Will you change jobs and take a job that pays less so you can spend more time at home? No, I don't think so. I don't think that would be good for my family. Right? Our priorities are going to give us away. We're going to look at this. We're going to look at the wise man. We're going to look at the foolish man. And we're going to look at our priorities. And we're going to look at, at what we spend so much of our time trying to do. And it's going to give us away. It's going to tell us where your true priorities are. So stop trying to impress your family with what you buy in the house that you live in. And start making an impression on them. That's the next slide or the next fill in the blank. Stop trying to impress your family with all the things that you can buy and how powerful you are at work and, and the cars that you can give your kids and this and that, quit trying to impress them and start making an impression on them. My foundation was laid by the time, was starting to be laid by the time I was a little sprout because my parents had me in church. My parents were teaching me Bible stories. My parents were teaching me the importance of the Word of God. They were introducing me to God. They were, and I, I was in church, I was in Sunday school, I was in vacation Bible school. They were making sure that, that I understood that this was the most important thing in their lives. They didn't hide their failures from me. 
they let me know that it wasn't their strength, it was God's strength. And already from a kid, they were already starting to help me build my foundation. That's what I want you guys to do. Not only build your own foundation, but I want you to start building, start laying the foundation for your kids. I want you to teach your kids the Bible. I want you to read it with them. I want you to bring them to church. I want you to show them how to pray because you are teaching them the patterns and the habits and the priorities that will influence their life forever. That and Legos is more important than all the corporate stuff I've ever done. It's laying that foundation. The next thing, the last thing that you can do is hold up God's standard. Hold up God's standard even when you have fallen short. The standard is still the standard even when you don't measure up to it. And there's another trap that Satan lays for us since he's the accuser. He says to you, you can't, you can't talk to your kids about drugs. You did drugs when you were a kid. You can't tell your kid not to lie. You lied on your taxes. You can't tell your kids not to have sex before marriage. You had sex before you were married. What kind of a parent are you? You're a hypocrite what you are. I don't even know why you go to church. That's what the accuser does. But you know what the truth is? The truth is, I have failed. This has never failed. The truth is that the standard is what I hold up, and the standard doesn't change even when I don't measure up to the standard. The standard is still the standard. I had a friend of mine who was a, he's a pastor, is a pastor, was a pastor, he still is. Had an affair, lost his church, and... God has forgiven him, but there's still consequences. We've got to understand that in our Christian lives. Sometimes when we fail the standard, God still forgives us. Matter of fact, he says in Romans 8, 1, that there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, right? So we are forgiven, but there's still consequences. And it took him years. He was the best communicator, one of the best communicators that I've ever known, preacher, um, and it took years of him doing other jobs before God allowed him to go back into the ministry. And so I was talking to him because we're good friends. And he knew when I said this, he, he knew when I asked him this that I wasn't condemning him. I was just asking because I was honest, being honest. Because, see, I don't feel, a lot of times I don't feel right teaching. Because <laughs> it's my job as a teacher to hold up the standard. And I failed this standard a lot of times. So I asked him, I said, man, how are you going to preach after that? How are, you going, how are you going to preach after that? And he said, because my job before God, the job that God has given me is to hold up the standard. And he said, nobody that I preach to has ever met that standard. And I have certainly fallen short of the standard, but it doesn't change the standard. The standard is still the standard, even when we fail it. So when you need to talk to your kids about what kind of friends they have. When you need to talk to your kids about sex before marriage, when you need to talk to your kids about drugs or alcohol or whatever else it is, don't let Satan steal that foundation-building time because you say, well, I can't talk to him about that because I did that when I was a kid. Well, I, who am I to say anything to them? I did that same stuff in college. Because your job as a parent, your job as a Christian, your job, 
as a, as a child of God, is to hold up the standard that He set. And we will all strive together to match the standard to the best of our abilities. We have to know the Word in order to do that. But we also need to know that there is no condemnation for us now, for those of us that are saved. Jesus has forgiven us, and when we do mess up, we ask Him to forgive us, and He says that He will forgive us. When we need wisdom, He says, ask me for wisdom, and I'll give it to you no matter how many times you've asked in the past. But it's not enough to just know the Word. We have to obey it. But our first problem is getting to know the Word. Setting our foundation by learning the Word, and then doing by putting it into practice. Stand up with me, if you will. There may be somebody in here this morning that just wants to come to the altar and tell God, I don't want to do this like a New Year's resolution anymore. I really want to make it. I really want to set this as a priority. I want to read your word. I want to study your word. And I want to obey your word. But there's some people in here who have never accepted Christ as your Savior. And you're struggling to be a good person. And a lot of you have made it. Because you're a really good person. But God doesn't call us to be really. Well he actually does call us to be really good people. (laughs) But we can't truly be good people. Until we're doing it for the right reasons. And what happened was God. Is completely holy. Totally holy. And the fact that he's totally holy means that. Not only does he not sin, he can't be around sin. So we have God over here in heaven who is completely holy. And we have all the rest of us over here who some of us are good, some of us not so much. But all of us have sin in our lives. And as it stands right now, none of us can ever be with God. Because he cannot stand sin. That's where Jesus steps up and says, wait a minute, I'll do this. I'll die for their sins so that, so that their sins are on me and they can go to heaven to be with you. Jesus began to lay the foundation. The Bible says he is the cornerstone of our foundation. But that's a gift that he's offered to us. And we don't get to go to heaven automatically just because Jesus died on the cross. We have to accept him and accept his forgiveness and ask him to forgive us. And if we will, he says at that moment, we get to go to be with God. And the truth is, a lot of times we think about going to heaven for all of eternity. Your eternity's already started. Your eternity started the moment you were born. Where you spend it may not have been decided, but you can, you, can, you can decide that today. I've been saved. I asked Jesus to forgive me. He promised me that he would. And if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I have no doubt in my mind. And there's a peace that comes with that. If you don't have that peace, I can show you how to do that. It's very simple. God is an equal opportunity savior. Doesn't matter what your race, creed, color, background. He doesn't do a financial check on you. He accepts us just the way we are. But if we don't accept the gift, then we don't get to be with the Holy Father. So if you want to make that decision, I'll be down front. If you just want to come to the altar and tell God today, I want to start over today. 
And I've always said that he was a priority, but I've never actually made it look like he was a priority in my life. And today, I want to make him a priority. Then you can come, you're, obviously, you're welcome to come to the altar while we sing. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Basin Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.